Welcome to the All-Terrain Archive, a cycling podcast brought to you by Gravier Cycle Collective. I'm Griffin Knight and I'm joined by my co-host Matt Bird. We're going to chat to Jeremy Christmas, a UCI international level mountain bike and cyclocross commissaire from New Zealand. Yeah, so a commissaire is basically an umpire in cycling. It's a role a lot of people take for granted and it's super interesting to hear how these people go about their job. We'll let Jeremy talk us through it in the episode. There's been some interesting circumstances to get to this interview though. Hey Griff. Yep, so Jeremy was the international commissaire for the Adelaide XCO, which is now over a week ago. Um, due to the COVID blow-up here in Australia, Jeremy has had plans to travel home to New Zealand disrupted and has stayed at mine for a little while. It's been really cool getting to know him and learn about my sport from another angle. Cool, so let's jump into the interview. Cool. Welcome, Jeremy. Yeah, hi, Griff. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Um, Before we get into talking about your role as a commissaire, uh, we thought it'd be interesting to learn a bit about you. So, why don't you tell us a little about yourself, Jeremy? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm a Kiwi, um, so don't hold that against me. Um, and I'm currently a COVID refugee stuck in Australia. Um, I live uh, in Rotorua, which is, as everybody knows, the capital city of mountain biking for the world. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, married happily, wife, kids. Pretty normal guy, really. Working? Yeah, yeah. I work for a, um, a logistics company in New Zealand, and um, uh, mainly involved with training. Yeah. And you get out on those Rotorua trails? That much? Yeah, yeah. We're very spoiled with uh, with Rotorua. We uh, uh, we've got uh, fantastic um, cross country trails, uh, which are great for gravel bikes. Um, and I swing both ways, so uh, I'm a roadie as well. Uh, and we've got reasonably strong um, road cycling uh, in that area as well. Yeah, great. I think a lot of people forget how most people officiating cycling are cyclists themselves. So you've you've spent a while travelling around the globe now, uh, being an international commissaire, and we'll touch on that in a bit, on the mountain bike and the CX scene for the UCI. And personally, I've seen you at a few C2 events in Japan and Australia. But I wanted to start off by asking, um, how did you get into commissaring? Where did it start? Uh, well, um, as Matt was saying, I, 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 do, I came from a riding background, in fact, a multi-sport background, um, and uh, was riding road and mountain bike. And uh, uh, probably before you guys were born in 2006, we had a, uh, a world champs uh, mountain bike event and a couple of years before that our local club was wanting to get people involved so we could assist in the in the world champs so that was where my commissaring started that was Rua, yeah. wasn't it? yeah 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 i remember that um oh six there was quite a strong aussie contingent there and um, yeah that's right yeah. that's right <laughs> the glory days that yeah. was i think Probably the first world champs I was aware of. Is it the first in the Southern Hemisphere? Ah, uh, look, I'm not sure about that one, Matt. But um, uh, it was a big, it was a big deal. It was, yeah, it yeah was, I remember it being a big deal at the time. Yeah, it was held. Um, the uh, the cross country course was horrible. It was uh, <laughs> up the hill and then down the hill and then up the hill again. Um, but um, the local club had to really uh, provide a lot of marshals and. Uh, commissaires yeah. and that's where it started wow so how to go from i guess what sort of training progress through that sort of local commissaire with the club up to the world champ level commissaire well <clears throat> i guess um Oz, australia new zealand the states they're, they're all pretty similar you start off uh, at a club level um there might be a state level um then you go to a national level uh and then if you're lucky enough uh, you can go to international. So for me, um, 
similar process. Um, I was a club commissaire, then a national commissaire. Uh, then I did my, uh, back then there wasn't an elite national commissaire um, qualification, which there is now. Um, so we did a pre-course, which I did in Colorado Springs, and then went to um, Aigle in Switzerland to do the commissaire course. That was for, yeah, wow. for mountain biking. And then yeah. a couple, couple of years later, I did cross-country, uh, sorry, um, cyclocross. So. Wow. Yeah. And is it mostly sort of theory-based, the education, or is it a lot of sort of on-the-job learning? Um, yeah, you start off with... Um, there's an assumption you know all the rules, um, so the the course is is reasonably theory based. There's scenarios that you you review and you comment on, um, but there's also a um, uh, a practical component as well. So, for example, uh, when I did CX, um, I think somebody had a huge sense of humour in the uh, UCI. They sent me to Belgium to be chief for one of the super prestige races um, where there were thousands of Belgian spectators falling off fences and um, uh, yeah I, I've um, I'd never seen any any race like it in at the deep end yeah it was yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, that's a lot to uh, get to that level so what does a typical day at an event look like for you and how much goes into getting to the event in the first place? Well, I guess it all depends on um, the level of event. Um, I'm, I'm stuck here in Adelaide at the moment because of a, uh, a cross-country event that, that occurred last weekend. Uh, it was a C2 event, and um, what I would typically do is firstly walk the course. Uh, commissaires really only have two roles. We're, we're simple people. Um, one is to make sure the race is, is safe, and the other one is to make sure that the uh, the racing is fair. So first thing we do is inspect the course to make sure it's safe, uh, make sure that um, we review all the entry material and make sure that the, the gridding up is in the correct order so that it makes it fair, and then um, uh, somebody's got to say go, uh, and then uh, just keep an eye on the race as it progresses. Um, in some cases, there's a 80% rule where the slower riders are removed to get out of the way of the faster ones. I know that one well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then um, there's there's the results, verifying the results. Uh, what isn't known generally is the official results are actually the commissaire's results that are off the stopwatches rather than from oh, the... Okay. Uh, the pointy-headed people on the end of the computers. Um, yeah, it would have been a fun course walk on Sunday at the Adelaide XCO for you. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't come. I actually came oh, over yeah. here for for a two-day mm. um, uh, event. So two shirts and two pairs of socks, and you name it. <laughs> and it was pouring with rain. Uh, you know, I was told come to Australia. It's always warm. Well. I think it was snowing. Yeah, it was pretty cold up there. What's the sketchiest thing you've seen on a course walk, do you reckon? Is there any stories of just like really dangerous or unsafe things that you've seen? Is yeah. there anything that gets on your nerves? Um, well, Matt can probably relate to this. Uh, I guess downhill's the, got the sketchiest um, sketchiest courses. that um, Sometimes the downhill designers put, put them in because... They're locals and they, uh, I think, features that you can get a lot of air off always make me a little concerned. Features that you, that me as a commissaire can't walk down make me a little concerned. Uh, and I've seen a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. What about on XC courses? Is there anything that comes to mind? Um, or cross even? Uh, XC or cross... Um, I know the Stromlo course um, uh, has got uh, a pretty exciting rock feature in it. Um, uh, sometimes rock features get put in, and uh, and and they're they're pretty brutal. Um, cross, um, 
was an Aussie course. I'm trying to remember where it was. I think it may have been Adelaide. It had a, a very steep descent uh, into mud and water, of course. Yeah. Uh, then with a 180 at, at the end, so you were straight back up a impossibly hard um, hill. Those are about the sketchiest things I've come across, anyway. Anything particularly unsafe as well, like in in your head, like I can just think maybe Europe cross. They're often in paddocks. <laughs> yeah, they're Any, reason, reasonably open in Europe. Yes. Yeah. Um, Any farm agricultural equipment to stick it out <laughs> onto the <laughs> onto the track. Um, no, but I I, I um, I've been to Japan a few times, and sometimes there's the uh, there's the odd um, animal wandering around the the course. But um, yeah, snow is a is a interesting hazard. For cross, it kind of comes comes with the sport, really. Yeah, with ice as well. Yeah, that's icy right. ruts. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's cool. What um, what's the ideal interaction between the rider and the commissaire then? Like, well, yeah, the commissaire's got an interesting role. We, um, um, we we shouldn't be seen as the referee or the enemy. Um, we are actually there to to make sure that the riders get the best experience in the ride. Um, we um, determine the lap numbers uh, in both cross country and uh, cross to make sure the riders get a ride that is of the expected time. I think um, sometimes we get it wrong and you might be too short or too long, but generally we try and make it so that the rider um, knows how much how long they're going for and gets a um, as appropriately fair start as possible i think ideally um, if the riders don't notice the commissaires then that's a good outcome that's interesting yeah for sure and what do you think separates a good commissaire from the rest <laughs> um i i guess um Commissaires, like all riders, by the way, should should have a good understanding of, of the sport. Uh, it helps that they're ex-riders. Um, it helps that they, they know the rules. Um, but what I'm quite um, strong on, and I think what separates good commissaires from uh, maybe not so good or less experienced commissaires is the rules appear black and white, but the rules are written because of a race event. Mm. So it's really important that you understand why the rules are there and interpret the grey. Yeah, yeah, a lot of precedent involved with a lot of the rules, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, but you need to be, um, you need to apply the rules uh, situationally. Yes, uh, yeah. What is safe, what is fair, that's the answer. Yeah, for sure. So that gives us pretty good background on your job and the role of the commissaire. Um, seeing that you're at such a high level in the commissaring program, you must have done some pretty big races um, and have some interesting stories from them. So, Chris told me you were at 2016 Olympics in Rio. Yeah, yeah. Um, how was that experience? Yeah, it was. Um, uh, it was interesting having to go through security to uh, to get into the um, event. Um, I was worried about catching. Zika virus at the time, um, but I came back with a reasonably normally sized head. Um, <laughs> We've upgraded to COVID I know, this time. I know. What Isn't will that Paris bring? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> yeah. Right. So Rio Rio Olympics was glamorous. Um, yeah. It was. Um, it, it was held in a. Um, in a military base, um, it was um, so they purpose built the course. Yeah, uh, all the rock features you may recall from Rio uh, were all brought in. Yeah, uh, uh, Nick Flores from South Africa designed the course. Um, it was pretty technical, um, and uh, the weird thing was, um, and it'll be the same with um, with Tokyo as well. It's all being done for 38 riders, men and women. So it's um, 
there's a huge amount of infrastructure and security and preparation that goes into the Olympics and then uh, two races that are less than two hours each, it's all over. Yeah, yeah right. Did you, was it an entirely different ball game to World Champs or a World Cup that you've commissaired or was it just plug and play, just routine? Um, in, in terms of our roles, it's plug and play. Um, in terms of riders, uh, World Cups are much bigger. You've got a lot more riders. Yeah. Uh, even World Champs uh, is uh, a lot more riders. Um, but you, the cool thing about the Olympics is, is there's something special about those uh, those medals, and um, is huge um, international interest in the race. Uh, so yeah, you feel the pressure, but it's just plug and play in terms of normal roles. Yeah, one thing I thought actually just then, you mentioned while we were watching the um, World Cup in Leger last night that the commissaires have to um, know all the plates of all 150 starters and especially in Leger last night it was a deep mud race. The plates were obscure. You've got 38 to manage in the Olympics. That's that's a little bit easier, right? Yeah, it's much easier. Um the, the pick of the jobs would be on the 80% because you'd, uh, you'd, you'd have a, um, an armchair uh, view of the race and uh, you wouldn't be 80%ing too many, I hope. Uh, yeah. No, it's a, it's, it's a relatively simple race. It's, um, even though there's huge hype, it's, it's, it's probably easier than some club races. Yeah, right. At least you don't get mixed categories racing. <laughs> True. <laughs> Did you like the course and the layout there? It, it to me, we didn't see much of the Olympics here. So, it, did you think? What did you think of that? Back at Rio. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. What you may or may not recall is they'd had a fire uh, not not many days before the actual games. Yeah, right. So there was there was um, evidence of burnt. Um, bush uh, it actually went across the track oh, wow. and there was there was a worry about did they need to alter the track or not but um, the course was fantastic um, uh, there was some very technical um, parts of the course and um, it was beautifully made and it was obviously made for television too so um, but there are lots of spectators and the whole vibe was pretty incredible yeah. unfortunately Tokyo won't be quite the same because I think it's going to be sixty percent of the spectators there, but uh, I think it's still going to be pretty impressive. Was there anything about the games course that made you scratch your head? <laughs> you had to double check the rulebook, or did they have everything have everything properly dialed, and you guys just cruise around, tick all the boxes, get on with it? Yeah, well, they would. They had a um, a pre-course. Um, event uh, that's a test event yeah uh, and then the technical delegates um, Simon Burney and the like would have uh, would have been over the course numerous times yeah the only the only thing that I thought was interesting is uh, you'd expect a uh, a tape um, a taped course yeah uh, in Rio they didn't use tape they used um, uh, some um, plastic um, it, it almost looked like gra um, artificial grass, turf, um, markers. And, yeah, yeah. And it was very effective. It did what was needed. Uh, um, but yeah, it was just... Um, Interesting uh, interpretation of yeah, the rules. Yeah, yeah. Not everything's black and white, as you uh, mentioned. Absolutely. So I'm not sure what Tokyo will do. Um, they might have LEDs. <laughs> <laughs> Support the industries in Japan. Nice. Was was there any um, worlds or world cups that stick out to you in terms of mountain bike or CX as well? Uh, we're we're just gonna pick off experiences here now, <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> so I've been to a few uh, world champs, um, Cairns World Champs, uh, which is probably close to the heart of many of your listeners. Uh, that was uh, that was pretty cool. Um, event. I thought the uh, the downhill was exciting. I, I remember morning going for the morning walks just to check the course, 
never quite knew what was going to be on the track, uh, globes, spiders and snakes and all sorts of things. Um, the, I remember the cross country being incredibly dry and um, there was a drop off um, as part of the course and yeah. riders were launching into this, um, into this um, cloud of dust, not yeah. quite knowing where the ground was. Um, yeah, so that was that was an interesting experience. Um, Would have been a big contrast from the year before with the really wet oh, World Cup. Absolutely, it was. Were yeah. you here for that one? Uh, I was there for the World Cup prior to the World Champs, but the year before that, yes, there was uh, that was uh, a mud bath. Yeah, that's right. That was where before. you had an interesting um, unregistered rider. <laughs> Uh, do an improvised television cameo, I yes. re- recall. The yeah. infamous whoop section. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, I thought I thought the guys in Queensland did a great job at improving the course and uh, it was great to be there. And yeah. did you have anything to do with Stromlo Welds back in 2009? That I was been near the start of your career. Yeah, yeah, I was at Stromlo. Um, uh, that, was, that was pretty cool too. Um, uh, that was when they had trials um, as well combined, yeah. and I kind of missed the fact that trials isn't with mountain bike um, world champs anymore. Uh, always amazed at the abilities of those guys leaping around. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like a whole different sport. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is cool. Was was there? I think we we had a we've been chatting for the past week, so there's lots of stories I picked up on. <laughs> I thought. The, there was a story about the timing on the downhill, maybe in World Champs. Someone, oh, yeah. someone made it to the podium. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was an interesting time. I, I can't remember the French girl that was riding, but um, she'd got the fastest seating time. And then, then when she raced in the downhill, um, she appeared to be, I think, fourth on the on the board. Um, the, f- the flowers were given in the flower uh, ceremony, the first, second and third, and then a, um, uh, a forthright contingent of French people um, approached me and suggested that maybe the results were wrong. So we reviewed the results um, and we actually went back to manual timing uh, and, uh, and we did adjust the results. It appeared that her um, timing may have been activated twice at the top. Oh, wow. And the first one, uh, they were pretty confident, was activated by somebody else. So on review, uh, she was moved up to, I think it was a silver medal, but it meant um, going on live European television and explaining why the results um, weren't going to be the results. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting time. Yeah. I guess it's always that's why you have that manual backup and the commissaire timing. Absolutely, yeah, and um, it was a difficult time to explain to the the, the woman that was awarded um, third place that she'd moved to fourth. But um, but at the end of the day, it was the fairest thing to do. It was the correct thing to do. Yeah, of course, of course. And on the cross side of things, is there anything that stands out? Um, we've seen Matthew Vanderpoel. Um, tearing up the Tour de France. Unbelievable. Um, and Chris mentioned that you've been involved with commissaring a lot of his races. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been really lucky. Um, Cross is still quite quite new in Australia and New Zealand, and I'm really pleased to see that it's developing. Um, good numbers. Um, uh, but uh, the, the, most of my experience has been in Japan, actually, um, and they've got huge numbers. Mm. Yeah, uh, they do. And they've got a really good um, cross culture. So if you, yeah. if anybody listening gets a chance to go to Japan, I'm sure Griff would agree. It's a, it's a great experience. Yeah, the fanfare there is insane, and yeah. they, the events are so cool. It's you've got all the sushi and gyoza <laughs> vendors at the, <laughs> at the race. It's yeah, almost is as good racing as eating so something not, for not everyone not quite as many fruit or beers as, as Belgium but um, yeah it's pretty cool and um, it's a shame that the COVID situation is affecting your state um, races I know that um, Cycling Oz is doing their best to to um, make races available for everyone and 
I guess if we all go out and get our our vaccinations, the world will come back to normal maybe next season. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Was there any particular races in Europe that you've done? Any big ones? CX races? No, I've only done a couple of um, uh, races in, in Europe because um, obviously Cross is incredibly big in particularly Belgium and um, so there are lots of commissaires over there too. Yep. So to actually get over there is pretty unusual. Uh, although being in uh, Oceania, um, up until recently, I've been the only international level cross um, commissaire for, for both Oceania and Asia. Yeah. Now we're very fortunate. We've got a, uh, a very good um, Japanese uh, woman who is uh, in, in the Asian Confederation and hopefully um, Ant Newman, who's um, an aspiring uh, national commissaire. Um, he's halfway through his international commissaire training so hopefully he will um he'll be successful and we'll have two of us yeah for sure is there any in your travels across the world commissaries there any athletes that have stood out to you well Matthew Vanderpoel is, is certainly one of them I remember meeting him he won't recall this but um, I remember meeting him as a junior in Belgium um I think um uh, you, you've had some amazing riders over here. I'm I'm really impressed with um, with uh, Beck Beck McConnell. She's uh, she's racing well. She didn't go so well in the weekend, but I don't, don't think she's been that well. But I think she's an Olympic um, prospect. She's done well this season, um, and hopefully Dan will uh, do as well. Um, he's he's had um, some. Starts a little far back, but um, he's certainly got the engine, so I think he'll represent uh, Australia well. Uh, I think Anton Cooper, who um, I um, I remember in uh, some years ago in Leo Gang, uh, he he was um, he won the world championship as a junior. Uh, he's he's won the under twenty three uh, world title as well. And he's racing very well this year, so um, I think he's got a good chance. He, he's he's got a super engine on him as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Vanderpol and Pitcock and a few others race in 14 days' time. Yeah, for sure. Was there anything about any of those riders? Obviously, you met Vanderpol as a junior. Did you? Is there something that stick? Um, stuck out about him you're like oh he just looks he just looks a little bit different there's something about him or he's just you just knew he looks a bit like you (laughs) (laughs) poor guy yeah (laughs) Um, I I think I think when you get to that level you've obviously got to have the uh, the ability and you've got to have the um, aptitude Uh, you've got to be a dedicated uh, athlete Um, but also, I think the most important thing is what's between the ears. The difference between coming tenth and coming first is, is a, a, a desire to win. Um, he's got it, um, and uh, I think he'll do well at the Olympics. Yeah, for sure. What about Anton? Because he's a Kiwi. You would have been involved a little bit with his development over time. Yeah, yeah. I, a few years ago... Um, I. I was uh, New Zealand team manager for a couple of years, uh, which I'm not obviously now. Uh, and uh, I remember Anton as a, as a junior. Um, he was exceptional. He he was. Um, we'd start the juniors behind the elites, and he'd be finishing in front of the elites. Yeah. So you know, at that stage, there's somebody who's pretty special. I mean, another person that comes to mind is uh, is um, Zoe Cuthbert. She started off in a similar fashion and i think she's got real potential for the future yeah um, our last episode with was with zoe oh right okay. at two so <laughs> at three jeremy christmas that's a, a good parallel but yeah continue yeah um no there's some there's some good riders and what i what i'm really excited about for um australia is the number of good riders coming through 
uh, uh, New Zealand we're doing well uh, although um, I think for both countries it'd be great if we could encourage more women to ride uh, um, yeah yeah for sure actually one thing I just thought of there is a quite critical thing for uh, the development of both Australia and New Zealand and that is the Oceania Confederation do you want to just quickly describe before we continue to talk about Oceania's what are the confederations of cycling so you've you've sure. got... okay well if you if you think of the Olympic rings you've got five Olympic rings um, they represent the five confederations so you have um, uh, America uh, Africa Europe um, what am I missing out on? Asia and Oceania. Um, all four um, confederations apart from Oceania have got 50, 60 countries in them. And Oceania, because we're surrounded by ocean... Yeah, um, fittingly in the name. Have, ...have not got too many countries involved. So we do have... Uh, representation from some of the smaller nations but it's basically New Zealand and Australia and um, it's really important that uh, that we get as much interaction between the two countries as possible I think we've got some real opportunities to uh, to maybe develop some exchanges because we're relatively close uh, get some of your juniors over to play with us yeah. and vice versa and uh, uh, get as, as good a um, representation for the Oceania champs uh, as possible. Yeah, that's right. Because you see, um, especially the European and the American sort of continental champs, they're a huge deal. And I believe that a win in the Europeans will put you on the front row at Worlds or maybe the points might get you closer. Whereas they're threatening... Obviously, the Oceania has gone a bit quiet due to the COVID stuff. Um, explain how important that Oceania continental champs is. Sure. Well, it's a bit like uh, if you if you play Monopoly, when you go around the board, you get given two hundred dollars or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, each confederation is given a bunch of points. Yeah. Uh, each confederation gets the same amount of points. So if we if we have a uh, a Dan McConnell or a Anton Cooper that wins the Continental Champs, they get the same points as uh, as a Matthew Vanderpol would get. Uh, um, yeah, or Nino Scherter, current or Nino Scherter. current European yeah, champion. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so it's a shame that we cancelled uh, the Oceania's last year. Last year, this year. Yeah. Um, but that was COVID-related, and um, uh, that's how important they are. They are the pinnacle of um, Australia and New Zealand's cycling. Uh, it'd be lovely, to, it'd be great to see a, um, a Continental Champs uh, jersey being worn. Uh, Wouldn't it? Uh, I certainly uh, love to see the, um, the the green and gold or the or the um, or the black fern being worn uh, when I watch uh, racing so hopefully um, hopefully we can get people racing Oceania's and, and get a continental jersey as well yeah for sure so obviously we've spoken about you being off to Tokyo um, any predictions or are you allowed to make predictions <laughs> uh, yeah I think it'll be hot uh, <laughs> we'll probably eat a bit of rice uh, and there'll be some pretty uh, aggressive riding um, it's really hard to make predictions uh, that's the weird thing about um, the Olympics it's a one-off uh, 80 minute, 90 minute race and uh, it's just you cannot predict what individuals are going to do for that one-off race I remember um, at Rio, we had, uh, you may recall, Peter Sagan yes, was yeah. racing. Uh, he started uh, last because he had no mountain bike points. 
uh, and after the first lap he was in the front bunch. Uh, he had some un unfortunate um, mechanical issues which meant he was out 80 percented but who knows what would have happened if he'd had a, a good ride. So predictions? I'm thinking probably um, Kiwi Gold, Aussie Silver. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we shall wait and see. Yeah, the Olympic race format seems to really, I think, get rid of a lot of the issues Australians and New Zealand seem to face in the World Cups with that sort of smaller start slot, smaller start grid. Yeah. So that's yeah makes it a different race, I imagine. If you're starting, the worst you can start is 36. Yeah, and you've only you've only got two Swiss and two French, <laughs> uh, which which is pretty unfair, really, um, for the Swiss and the uh, and the French. Although. Um, it's good for Australia and New Zealand. Um, it's a funny format. Um, you're competing for your country. Countries get slots, not individuals. Um, uh, Aussies picked up one for both men and women, and, and um, Kiwis have got one for, for men only. But um, you then get ranked on your UCI points. So Anton, for example, will be second row. He might get a really amazing ride, and uh, one never knows what will happen. Mm. I'd be looking looking out for Pidcock, though. I think he's a dark horse. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if he can move up through the ranks like he did in that first World Cup this year, it'd be pretty scary. It's pretty scary in everything he does by the looks of it. Yeah, I think it'll be. I think it'll be a great uh, race to watch. I think the course, although I haven't seen the course. I think the Japanese will will do an amazing job. They're, they're so organised and um, it won't be an easy course. No. no, I've seen a little bit of footage from the test event, some huge boulders in there. But also, it kind of just seems to snake around a, a big gully. They were talking that it would be quite an explosive course, so that, that could be interesting. Um, yeah. How do you think it will compare to the Rio event? Any contrasts? Obviously, the COVID nineteen stuff will um, be the obvious one. Um, talk about that. They're, they're t it's an interesting question. They are totally different Olympics. Uh, this is a Olympics like no other. Um, it, I think, it's wonderful that we're going to have some spectators, but it's going to be um, quite a different event. I personally know that I'll be going from the airport into a bus to the hotel, to the event, to the hotel, to the event, to the hotel. We would normally have a chance to um, to mingle with the athletes, to um, to maybe pop over to the road and track and BMX or whatever. That's not possible. Um, so it's going to be quite different for us, and it's going to be very different for the uh, for the athletes. Um, we're very concerned and very aware of the Japanese uh, public's concern about COVID. So I know that all athletes and, and technical officials are going to go out of their way to make sure that uh, that they don't cause any concerns. Yeah, for sure. So then looking beyond Tokyo, um, is there anything else on the radar internationally for you this year? Uh, no, at this stage, Tokyo is the end of the dance card. Um, what generally happens is, is we get appointments uh, later in the year. Um, so I would expect there'll be appointments coming out in November for mountain biking and um, for cross generally uh, it comes out a little later. Um, but I'm really excited about the opportunities coming ahead Next year, um, 2022, uh, we've got the Commonwealth Games uh, in the UK. Uh, the following year will be an amazing year for cycling. It's going to have a world champs uh, with combined road, track, BMX, mountain biking. Yes. Uh, that would be one that um, I'll be packing my bags for as a... As a um, as a spectator if I don't get appointed there. And then we've got uh, Paris the following year. Mm. So there's a lot ahead. Uh, we're all fighting through this COVID environment, but um, I'm hoping we're through the, through the worst of it and uh, 
we can all return to cycling as normal. Hopefully, yeah. It looks like um, bumping Tokyo back a year has really condensed the next couple of years into something pretty impressive. And not only that, all the World Cups were um, severely um, affected, so they com- compressed all the World Cups. I think it's been really hard on the, on the, uh, the riders this year uh, um, competing at that level, and um, uh, it's a shame that some have had to retire early because uh, it's very hard to stay yeah, uh, yeah. at a peak. But um, yeah, it's it's looking better. Uh, Europe was successful in in holding events. Um, and uh, I think we're returning to normal. Yeah, for sure. Um, and is there anything ex- that makes you excited for the future of the sport? Oh, absolutely. I, um, I think some of the newer riders coming through um, uh, that um, that will take on the mantle that um, Schurter and Epsilon held, uh, that's really exciting. Um, uh some of the developments that that are happening in um, technology and in, in cycling is exciting as well. Uh, uh, I I just think it's it's a great sport, uh, and um, uh, we've got some new heroes being uh, being produced at the moment. Yeah, even XC is just being ridden so much differently to how it used to be. Um, and by used to be, we're not even talking that long ago, probably talking um, at least 12 months ago, like last night, or we watched the Leger World Cup, as I mentioned, and, you know, they're now just bombing those downhills. It's completely different. We're seeing so much technology, the dropper posts. Um, we're also seeing cross that, you know, that's just being amped to a next level it was that you know uncommon for barrier hopping and now we're seeing you know pretty much half of the top 30 at least um hopping those barriers it must be impressive to see how people push the boundaries oh yeah and i I think it's going to continue i think um at that level of elite athlete their skills are getting better and better um and the the bike technology is improving, uh, and the rules will adapt, and the sport will adapt around it to to uh, to keep it um, exciting. Um, so that's what that's what excites me um, about the future. Yeah, is there any any ideas for that next adaption? What do you think? Is there anything on the UCI's end? I've, I've thrown you in the deep end here. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that might change soon? Oh, it's a it's a bit hard to tell. I mean, things that have changed, as you know, is the course, the XCO format course has got shorter. Uh, the use of double feed zones has has become more common. And the uh, introduction of short course. Yeah, yeah, short course is great. I I, I think, um, and this is a, a totally personal view. I think um, uh, f- four cross may may have had its day. Uh, I think um, the short course um, is a really exciting format. It's easy to um, to develop. Uh, I, I like um, the the uh, the format where um, the riders um, the top forty race the day before. Um, it's it's made it quite spectator friendly, and um, I think it, it mixes up the front the front grid a bit too. So. Um, There'll be con- there'll continue to be changes, but um, I will be reactive, not proactive, when it comes to changing rules. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything within the bike industry, like sort of outside the racing scene, that makes you excited as well, like well, e-bikes or? Well, it may surprise you, but uh, being a a mid sixties uh, rider, um, my wife's just got. Um, an e-bike and she's very excited by that. Um, I was at um, uh, Mont saint anne last year at the World Champs uh, and watched um, uh, Alan Hathley win the World Champs e-bike event. That was that was cool. Uh, they certainly uh, had a race. It wasn't any easier than a normal bike uh, but what e-bikes have done is they've, it's opened up 
um, cycling to a lot of other people. The other thing that I find is exciting is um, is the e-sport development. Uh, UCI have have uh, done a deal for the next couple of years anyway with Zwift, and um, that also opens up some real opportunities. Um, I'm a keen Zwift rider, and um, although it's not the same as getting covered in mud or or um, uh, grazing yourself on the road, it's um, it, it, it's a pretty cool sport, and it just shows that UCI is moving with the times and and the industry is moving with the times. Uh, it'll be exciting to see how that e-sport area develops with um, with uh, integrated bike um, uh, monitor systems and so on that are being talked about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it definitely seems like Zwift and the e-sport side is probably the fastest growing, or at least over the last 12 months, has really exploded, gone from like a sort of novelty event and something like the Tour Down Under to being something that's taken really seriously. But yeah, so we've got some bonus questions for you, just oh, to wrap great. up. <laughs> um, speaking about back home, Rotorua, what's your favourite ride back there? Oh, um... Local loop. Yeah, actually, they've just developed a beautiful uh, loop, uh, which is about 50 k's. Uh, which you can do easily on a gravel bike um, and a, a good early morning ride around uh, Walker Forest is probably my favourite. It's not technical at all but it's uh, it's good quality riding and it's beautiful scenery. Yeah, it's lovely in there. What uh, gravel bike do you have? Um, I've got a, um, a specialised Crux. Okay, yep. yeah. Yeah, um, which... Um, which I should be riding a bit more of. When I get home. <laughs> nice, yeah. Walker Forest is also Rota Vegas. That's probably the jewel in the crown, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a little biased. I, I can, uh, I can be on a track in about uh, ten minutes from home, uh, and we are spoiled. Um, uh, we've got a really good downhill course, um, and uh, we're continuing to develop um, riding. Um, it's great infrastructure and uh, just a plug for all Aussies. It's a really good venue if you want to come out for a holiday. Uh, good accommodation and uh, <laughs> really good riding. Sweet. <laughs> um, what's something you wish all riders knew about the job the Commissaire does? I think one important thing is um, the Commissaire is doing it for the rider. Um, and it, uh, the majority of Commissaires are doing it uh, for the love of the sport, uh, it's a voluntary role. Um, they are a um, basically a marshal that's uh, got a, few, a bit more responsibility. So um, it'd be nice to the occasional rider to thank the commissaires for their efforts. Yeah, for sure. I guess you guys are out there. You all ride. You know how much fun we're having, and you want to you want to make sure that we're having fun, which I think is quite a noble thing. So that's cool. What would you tell someone who's looking at getting into the officiating roles in cycling? Any advice? Yeah, I think that firstly, if you are talking about club races or higher level races, uh, all riders should have a good understanding of the rules. But in addition to that, um, riders, uh, if, if, um, if you want to assist your club, um, uh, as a marshal, that's great. If you want to take it a little further, then you can uh, actually make a career of uh, of commissaring. It's it can take you all around uh, the country, uh, or in some cases, all around the world. Yeah, that's cool. Do you, how many do you think go on to? Obviously, there's a fair few commissaires around. How many actually go on to travel the world? I guess it's a bit like any um, umpire. Um, uh, if you're lucky, uh, you get the breaks and, uh, and you're half decent, you get an opportunity. Um, we've got half a dozen in most categories in uh, Australia and New Zealand that are, that are at that, that level. Um, uh, time's against you, so if you're, if you're a keen cyclist uh, and you want a, a 
career as an international commissaire, uh, you need to be thinking about it in your 30s or 40s because uh, once you go past the magic 50 years old, you can't progress. Um, and uh, I know that in, um, in less than a decade, I'll probably have to hang up my commissaire jacket and get start cycling because I'll be too old to commissaire. <laughs> well, that's a, an interesting perspective. Um, do you think that any of the skills that you have to use or you get from commissaring help in daily life? <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a chicken and egg. I, I, I like to think that the skills that I've picked up in daily life help me in commissaring. Um, it, it's like any um, position where you're, you're refereeing um, uh, something. It, it, it's very much like, it, it's all about communication. That's all it is. Um, and uh, if you can communicate well and make reasonably decisions, I guess it's a bit like being a good mum or dad. It's, um, <laughs> it's being fair and being um, open and uh, not giving the, um, the writers any surprises. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever second-guessed a decision? at a race and going, oh, I wish I had <laughs> done it another way or perhaps decided against some huge gap jump? <laughs> no, no, I, um, oh, there may have been one instance uh, in a South Island downhill event where we did have two helicopter evacuations off the same feature uh, within half an hour. Ouch. Uh, and, yeah, that certainly caused me to have uh, um, a sleepless night. Um, it was just unlucky. Um, uh, but yeah, sometimes you do you do get it wrong and we tend to err on um, safety rather than uh, fun. Um, so if a commissaire takes out your, your favorite feature, yeah. uh, it may be because they're being a little risk averse. Yeah, they take out that line I've been scoping for weeks <laughs> cool well um, I think that's everything for today Jeremy thanks for um, coming on and giving us an insight into I guess probably a role that doesn't get as much credit as it deserves and not many people know that much about so thanks for having a chat with us thanks Matt thanks Griff my pleasure yeah thanks for coming to Adelaide and staying as well cheers hopefully you can uh, get out of here soon yeah yeah now thanks. get out <laughs> thanks guys cheers The All-Terrain Archive is brought to you by Gravier Cycle Collective. You can find us on Instagram at allterrain.archive. You can listen to us on all your favourite podcast platforms.